Genesis chapter 4. Tomorrow is the date of one of the most significant events in the history of the world. Did you realize that? Tomorrow is the anniversary annually of Martin Luther's nailing up his 95 theses on the Wittenberg, uh, Wittenberg church door and the spark of the great reformation of the 16th century that took place on October 31, 1517. And so it is an incredibly significant day in the history of the world. Overshadowed, of course, by worldly things, but yet incredible in what God has done therein. In Genesis chapter 4 and the first eight verses. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Cain means acquired. Obviously, she was hopeful that Cain was the one promised to crush the head of the serpent. But it was not so. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. Now I want to turn you to the 11th chapter of Hebrews. We've had some messages of recent from Hebrews chapter 11, but we're going back kind from Abraham and we considered Noah and we want to consider two other men also that God granted his grace to before the universal flood in the days of Noah that destroyed all flesh upon the face of the earth. In Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read the first seven verses. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, 
God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. We include the reading of Noah, though we have considered him, because he was one of the three mentioned here who were objects of God's grace and who lived by faith before the universal flood came as a judgment upon the antediluvian world. We have three examples given us before the flood of how God saved through the means of faith and then we're taught how that faith manifested itself as well. So <clears throat> Adam is not mentioned. There is a lot of speculation. There's who, who, there's those who think, well, Adam must not have been saved. There are those who think, well, Adam was saved. Uh, there, we're not told specifically in Scripture whether he was or not. But a little later on, we'll show that God did something for Adam and Eve that was a picture and a type of redemption and the gospel of the Son of God. So we have hope. <laughs> we have hope. But it would be quite inappropriate for Adam to be mentioned since sin came into the human race through him and was passed to all of us by his disobedience. So that would be quite inappropriate to have listed in Hebrews chapter 11 as an example of faith, even if, by God's grace, he did save our first parents. But all of the examples in this 11th chapter of Hebrews are for the express purpose of showing the character of that faith which alone we would call saving. And that faith which manifests itself as true and acceptable to God. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is the purpose of these examples. To draw anything more from them, of course, would be to distract from the very reason they're given to us. So it's quite possible that we could cloud the meaning of Scripture, that we could remove the primary application to ourselves sometimes by getting distracted by other questions and trying to draw sometimes so many lessons that we diminish the real impact of a passage and its impact upon us personally. So it should be our, our business, our first concern, to ask ourselves if we have any demonstration in our own life, in our own course, of the type of faith that we see manifested in those saints of old and those we read about 
in Hebrews chapter 11. And what we learn from these first three examples before the judgment of the universal flood, who all lived before the flood, is that God was already very early working in the world and in those whom he had purposed to save. These were those who were called out of generations that were completely wicked, vile, godless. And so <clears throat> their lives were governed by a faith that overcame the world and overcame every example and every influence against it in the world. And of course, as you go and continue through Abraham and really all who are in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13, we read that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So it's pretty important that we see the kind of faith that Abel exhibited. It was the right kind of faith. The right kind of faith. It would be needful to turn you again to that passage in Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> as that is the place from which our passage in Hebrews 11 is drawn. And in Genesis chapter 4, one thing that should arrest our attention is that Cain was not an atheist. Cain believed in God. He wasn't an atheist. How could he have been? even that close to creation. He desired God's approval, even. We see that in chapter 4 of Genesis, verse 3. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. He was no unbeliever, but he wasn't saved either. Cain had no heart for God in truth. No different kind of faith than that of the demons, if you please. You remember what God says in James chapter 2, verse 19? Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. There are plenty who confess to believe in God, but do not have a saving faith, and do not have hearts that are Godward and truly seeking after and desiring him. That was the case with Cain, the first baby born to Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, we learn in 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, quote, that he was of that wicked one. He was of the seed of the serpent. Cain wanted approval. From God, that's obvious, isn't it? He offered of the fruit of the ground. He wanted God's approval. But he wanted God's approval on his terms. And that's not going to happen. 
He is characteristic, if you please, of the religiously lost who try and hold to God out of a self-interest. And self-interest is usually what's appealed to modernly, if you please. He wanted to hold to God out of self-interest, but his real desire was for the world. His real desire was for himself and to please himself in the world. That's been the case with false religionists throughout history, of course, in the nation Israel, in the time when God sent the children of Israel into uh, bondage because of their sins. Ezekiel the prophet had to say in Ezekiel chapter 31 and verse 33, verse 31, that they would come to him like the people. They would sit before him. They would congregate to come and hear him preach. He said, but their heart goes after their covetousness. What they seek is what they really want. And so, very solemn thing. Same thing in the generation the Lord Jesus Christ preached to. And he says, you hypocrites. Uh, calls them hypocrites. They taught for doctrines the, the, uh, the teachings of men and instead of God and the commandments of men instead of God. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That was the case with Cain. That's the case with many religionists. They want heaven. They want to think they're escaping hell. They want to profess, oh you know, God, they use his name. Oh, they think he's so good and grand, grand to them. But they're lost. That's a solemn thing, isn't it? They really don't have a heart for God. They have a heart for the world and the things of it. So then, what kind of faith was it that caused Abel and his offering to be accepted by God? His was, Cain's wasn't. So first, shouldn't it cause a seriousness of thought to think as is true that God does not accept even religious people for their religious works. Works saves no one. Of course, in the day of the coming great final judgment, the Son of God will say to some who said, Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? I never knew. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's some solemn things in the Scripture, correct? True things, very true. Abel's faith was from a heart that truly desired God, that was truly Godward, that sought the living God. He fits what we're taught in verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, Abel's faith arose from a heart that believed in truth in God and trusted him and wanted him, desiring him. 
Then obviously he heard the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. No doubt both he and Cain heard. Well, how would they have heard? They heard it from their parents. The most likely means by which Abel heard the word of God was from his parents, just like Cain did as well then, who taught both of them what God had spoken to them and what he did for them. It's a solemn thing. When they sinned, they became aware of their guilt. And when one is aware of their guilt, the first thing they want to do is hide it. Of course, that's the first instinct. Hide it. Hide themselves. They don't want to be seen. They don't want anybody to see what they're doing. So what did they do? They tried to cover their shame and their nakedness, their exposure, by sewing fig leaves together making themselves a covering with that, with the work of their own hands. Someone has rightly said, the first industry in this world came because of sin, the clothing industry. People don't want to be seen. And of course, modesty should always characterize God's people. We should want to be covered, but not because of sin, but because of humility. And obedience. The first death took place at the hands of God. He killed animals. You imagine what that was like for Adam and Eve to see that these animals, Adam had named the animals, now they see dead animals. Their blood having been shed by God Himself. And God took the skins of those animals and he made coats, a covering for Adam and Eve. They obviously knew that this pointed to something great, that it had association with that promise God made and spoke to the serpent when he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. It obviously projected forth to what God was going to do when he would send forth his Christ, his Messiah. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Genesis 3.21 Arthur Pink drew four things that God had spoken to them, to Adam and Eve, and obviously through them to Cain and Abel by God's action toward them. First, that in order for a sinner to stand before the thrice holy God, he needed a covering, a covering. Of course, we know what that foreshadowed, the covering for sin. The covering for sin. It is only God who covers our sins from his judicial sight. 
the covering. We know, of course, as we go further, that covering is the very righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, called the robe of righteousness in Isaiah. Second, that which was of human manufacture was worthless. Boys, you tell them, we were ashamed of our sin. We hid in the garden. We didn't want to be exposed. We covered ourselves with fig leaves. But that was not acceptable to God. God himself slew animals, shed their blood, made coats, and covered us with them. And that has a far greater meaning. God does not accept that which is human manufacture, the works of men. Third, that is God himself who must provide the covering. God must do that. Man doesn't do that. Man cannot do that. There's no way of ourselves we can reconcile ourselves to God. No way we can atone for our sins in anything whatsoever we do. So God himself must provide the requisite covering. We know in the gospel how that is done, of course. Fourth, that the necessary covering could only be obtained by death, by bloodshed. Christ had to die. He had to die, not just shed blood. He had to shed blood in death. Oftentimes, that is what's meant in Scripture by blood. You remember, well, in Genesis chapter 9, when God institutes capital punishment among the human race. He said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. And of course, we know that signifies the taking of another life by murder. And so Christ in death shed his blood. He died for our sins. He takes all the punishment that is justly due to us on the cross and sheds his blood in death. God does not accept anyone but those who come to him in such a faith that lays hold of his word that acts upon the only way he has appointed for reconciliation. It is God who gives the gospel in the scripture. It is God who sent forth the very best he had, the highest object of the divine love, the Son of God himself. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. We have the word of God. We have what God says. This blessed Bible, as preserved for us in the received text, translated for us in our authorized version is the word of God 
It is God speaking in his word. Wondrous when he seeks one, begins to call them as the Lord Jesus by name, as God did Adam. Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? To his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you are sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Redemption is not simply forgiveness of sin. Redemption involves our being brought to God. Reconciliation to Him. God becoming our God. We becoming His people. The heart for Him. Desirous of Him. Yielded to Him in faith. Trusting Him. He sends forth the one who saves us, does all the saving. And he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. My only hope, your only hope, is the Lord Jesus interceding for us to keep us, our advocate with the Father. And then... The sacrifices themselves showed the character of both Cain and Abel. It revealed something about them. It revealed the state of their heart toward God. And you remember Cain was no atheist. He, quote, believed in God. Cain brought a portion of the fruit of the ground. a good thing to till the ground. That was God's purpose for man to do that. He brought of the fruit of the ground. It does not say in Genesis chapter 4 verse 3 that he brought the first fruits. It doesn't say he brought the best he had to give unto God. But he gave. I got to thinking when I was looking at this and reviewing my study here, what a passage we find if you look in the last prophetic book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Let's see what God thinks of, of such. as haphazardly is done toward him or given to him. Or more should be given to the world, to the king, to anybody to anything higher than God especially to self the men want to keep for themselves they don't have the best to give to God we ought to get up every morning and cry take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to thee take me the whole of me for I owe all to thee 
in Malachi. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, God speaks through the prophet. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And you say, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Religion. Religious people, they don't mind giving out of what they have. If they got something left over, time, things, possessions, whatever it might be. Cain gave of the fruit of the ground. But obviously not the first fruits. Abel offered the very best he had. It's called a more excellent sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 11. Yes, he was instructed. It was animal sacrifice. It was bloodshedding. But he also gave of the best he had. And the faith of Abel still speaks to us is in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead... Yet, speaketh. Abel is still talking to us. He's still speaking. He tells us that no one comes to God. No one can be accounted righteous by Him. But those who come by the way God Himself has made known in His Word. And those who do so must come by faith alone. Works are important as the fruit of faith and a demonstration of faith, but not faith itself that does not work, but trust God and rest only in his glorious redeeming love in Christ crucified. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness, Romans 4, 5. We always have that attitude of Augustus lady. I don't have anything to bring. I have no righteousness of my own. I'm vile, sinful, dirty. would be ashamed for people to know me and the things that I have done. I have nothing to bring. Christ came to save sinners. So nothing in my hand do I bring. Simply to thy cross do I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me. 
Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Abel tells us, in essence, he that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Abel tells us, that even a fallen child of Adam who has by grace been given a new heart and desires God above all and seeks to know him aright warning him, seeking him, desiring him won't be doing that in vain without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Abel tells us that God is holy but gracious and that though his holiness requires payment for our sins, his justice demanding it, that he will acquit and accept and instant and very innocent, innocent substitute on our behalf. The gospel. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. And if by grace God has done that convicting work in you and brought you to see yourself as a sinner, defiled, lost, undone, he called you to look away from yourself to look to the Lord Jesus Christ to believe he alone is your substitute before God the just for the unjust the innocent for the guilty and that if you truly come to him as a poor and needy sinner, he will receive you. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Abel has a lot to teach us, doesn't he? A lot to say to us still. Then in Enoch... We find the progressive nature of faith. That's obviously why the faith of Enoch follows and 
Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we learn about Enoch in a, a list of genealogies in Genesis chapter 5. Not a whole lot said, but, but what is said is big enough. That Enoch in his generation, his wicked generation, his godless generation, that Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. He didn't die. <laughs> God took him. Another member of Adam's fallen race before the flood that destroyed all that breathed upon the earth who possessed genuine and saving faith, manifested as twice stated that he walked with God, twice stated in the scripture, and was translated without dying. It's been perceived that in the three mentioned before the flood, in Abel we see faith's worship, in Enoch, faith's walk. In Noah, faith's witness. And in that genealogy where Enoch is found in Genesis chapter 5, every other name, every other name excepting his, every other name ends in this epitaph. And he died. And he died. And he died. Except for Enoch. Early did God show by this act that he's pleased with such a faith that walks in newness of life. That lives unto him. That does so no matter what takes place in this godless world. in our increasing Christless nation. It's incredible what's taking place now. I heard someone say about the election upcoming, and I've already voted because we're not going to be here. Vote your convictions. They said, we're voting for sanity. You ever heard such a thing? I never heard that in the whole of my life. We're voting for sanity. We're in a crazy world and it's getting worse. And how we need God's grace. How we need to pray fervently.
Enoch walked with God. Wasn't his purpose just to get up and have fun every day and walk in this world and please himself and acquire all he could get? He walked with God. That was his heart's desire. He walked in that newness of life. He truly sought God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thank God for our authorized version. He that cometh doesn't mean he did it once, made a profession, that's it, saved. No. Keeps coming. And keeps trusting. And keeps walking in the fear and the faith of God. In communion with God himself, that's only done by those who live by faith. Yes, the just shall live by faith. Beginning, continuing, consummating. When Christ comes to be found unto praise and honor and glory at his appearing. Verses 5 and 6 are closely connected of Hebrews 11, showing that only a life that's truly lived by faith and manifested and diligently seeking God day by day will be rewarded with that wondrous life with God himself. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. be wonderful if we're living when the Lord comes. Don't have to go through that channel of death, but we're likely going to have to. And uh, <clears throat> if you walk with God and I walk with God, it'll be a wondrous thing. I think of my dear friend now with the Lord. Lots of my dear friends are now with the Lord. <laughs> Uh, lots of my pastor friends, I could count them up and count them that I've labored with, spoken with in conferences, uh, fellowshiped with, communed with, now I'm no longer on the scene of this earth. They're with the Lord. But I think of my dear friend David King and my dear friend Hubert Davis, who's now with the Lord, been with the Lord a long time. My, when, when these men were together when we were together it was fellowship it was communion it was Christ being glorified it was not the world and the things of it it was the glory of God And I can remember David saying you know brother Ron Hubert of course was getting much older he was older than me he said one day Hubert Davis is just going to step out of this world into eternity his heart was Godward. God blessed him tremendously. Little formal education, but incredible spiritual knowledge. 
that God had given him. You and I, we're going to have to leave one way or another. May God grant us to walk with him day by day. said of Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 verse 1 God says to him I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward can you imagine having God for your reward God himself for your reward to be with him forever he who is infinite in power wisdom glory majesty and who is love. Can you imagine? Enoch walked with God. That was not for God took him. Unto himself. In a very special way. When Enoch lived on earth. He lived in a different realm than the world thing. He had different desires. He went in a different direction than those of his generation. And when God took him, he took him where his heart already was. With God himself. An important lesson to be Drawn from Abel, Enoch, and Noah, Noah, of course, we already dealt with Noah in another message, is that no one can truly work and witness in God's kingdom unless they first come to God through Christ and walk with him by faith, and in truth, no one else will. At no time, under no circumstance, do we please God without faith. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God will do what he says. God will give what he says. His word is truth. It's been proven throughout the ages. Why do you think that Generations have come and gone. Nations have come and gone. Empires have come and fallen. But God's truth will endure. It will endure. Sometimes even now, can't have been an old man. <laughs> Sometimes even now, I think back upon my childhood. I think back upon those times when sitting in Sunday school and a dear Sunday school teacher had enough care to get us boys we're going <laughs> to memorize scripture boys and girls were separate then we had different standards <laughs> Please. We had to, but we had to memorize scripture we'd come at night and just to think that I would memorize it and I, I can still remember sitting out on the front porch of our house in Winston-Salem I live with my grandmother my dear grandmother my mama to me and I can remember going over those memory verses when I was a boy 
memorizing Psalm 100. I got to the end of that. His truth endureth to all generations. I didn't know much, but I knew what that meant. That meant God's word is going to remain. His truth is going to remain as long as this world stands. We're not going to have to worry about it. It's forever settled in heaven. And I literally thought, if I get to be an old man, I'm still going to have his truth. His truth is still going to be there. Guess where I am? And guess whose truth endureth to all generations? This is the word of God. And if you trust and believe and act upon it, how blessed you are. God gave his word. Keeps what he says. He performs what he promises to those who by faith diligently seek him. His promises will never fail. They haven't. They won't. Promises men will. Men will promise the moon to get their way. But when God promises, he keeps his word. Abel and his sacrifices were accepted. And Enoch and his walk of faith was rewarded only because they were done in faith. Cain and his offering were rejected because it was not an act of faith and diligently seeking God. It was an act of self-will and self-seeking just to keep on good terms with God. So he thought. They who come to God must believe that he is the self-existent eternal infinitely wise God from which all other existence derives its being he is the reason everything else including you and me exist but none find him and none receive the blessing that he has promised but those who diligently seek him. I think I could quote it, but I want you to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13. And let's read verses 11 through 13 here. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Write it down. Memorize it. Think upon it. 
And the reward he promises is not the merit earned by worth or works. It's purely the gift of his grace promised to all who believe and seek him in truth. We must remember always that if God gives you that heart, that kind of heart and that kind of faith, behind it is his grace. It didn't come of you. It came of him and from him. But we're not to make the mistake of thinking that God will not or will even in a reluctant way give grace to those who truly seek him. No, it's abundant. It's called abundant mercy in Scripture. David spoke of the multitude of thy tender mercies. They're so great, I cannot comprehend them. I'm getting every day. I have to cry to the Lord. I don't comprehend the greatness of your mercy toward me. I can't take it in. I'm not worthy of it. Not of the least of it. Yet God is abundant in mercy. He got a bunch of it. (laughs) It's not a reluctant thing on his part because faith lays hold upon God as gracious and bountiful and ready to bless the faith of his people in accordance with whatever measure he finds it. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. But what if you're here and you've never come to know the Lord of glory? You're going to stand before God one day. You're going to have to account for yourself. If God in grace does a work in you, he will bring you to see yourself as a sinner. Lost. Vile. Deserving of his wrath. And heading for his judgment. He'll show you your distance from him. And yet if in your heart there arises by his grace the yearning to know him, to know him and experience his goodness and the bounty of his salvation. I can tell you, I am absolutely convinced he stands ready to receive you. He only commands that you come by faith, that you trust him, that you believe him. Justifying faith is that empty hand that reaches out and takes the gift of abundant life promised by God by taking his only begotten son who died for sinners and believe him and call upon him to call upon him in faith because he shows you the way no other way other than Jesus Christ and him crucified for sinners and living to save those who are called by his gospel.
421. Let's stand as we sing. 